welcome to another C3 Church Rockingham podcast. For more information about C3 Rockingham, please visit www.c3r.org.au. Hey, you know what? I'm really excited about this month's theme. Our Fit for Life theme is one we do every year now. And I think that's a great practice for us to have. And Pastor Claude has made it intentional. And it's usually around the month of October because it's Mental Health Month and there's a Mental Health Day, even if you weren't aware. (laughs) What an exciting thing to celebrate. (laughs) But you know what? It's really to bring awareness, isn't it? So we know what's going on and we can ask people, are you okay? And I get excited about talking about mental health because it's something that's close to my heart. It's a journey I've been on. So I hope you'll come with me tonight as I do that. Now, this subject applies to all of us, not just people with mental illness. And the reason I say that is your mental health should be a priority to you. And it's not just about, well, I don't have this mental illness, which is great and it may be true for you, but it doesn't mean that you have good mental health either. And what I mean by that is when you come to Christ, you may have or you will have unhealthy mental habits, patterns, ways and things that need to change. All of us do. And the longer we do this discipleship journey, the more we're meant to become like Christ. And that means a constant renewing of this thing we called our mind. Yeah, good. Let's pray before we go. Lord, I thank You for tonight. I thank You for the power of Your Word, that as it's preached tonight, it will be as You would speak it, Lord. That all my stories and things that are added in, Lord, will just be for Your glory. Lord, that as we sit under this Word, that You'll renew our mind as we speak, Lord, and as we put into practice Your Word. Thank You for each person here and the ability for our good mental health. Amen. Amen. So just a bit of background. I'm not going to tell my whole story tonight. I think a lot of you have heard it and some of you are sick of hearing it. No? No one's admitting it publicly anyway. But I want to tell you that about seven years ago, I was diagnosed with depression and anxiety. Before that, I'd lived with it. And I say lived with it, and I mean suffered with it for about six years. So I'd gotten to the point I'd given up and I just accepted that this is who I was. It was part of who I was now. I was just going to always be depressed and sad. And I'd stopped working. I'd stopped going out. I'd just really become as, uh, as much of a hermit as I could, really. And I'd come out when I needed to only. And that became my normal. But even though I'm saying that, you know what I thought about today, I thought if someone had gotten up in church when I was a youth, when I was a young adult and spoken about mental health openly, it would have made a huge difference. Because I was one of those Christians who didn't believe in mental illness. I didn't. And I've got here that I didn't think Christians could get it, (laughs) could catch it, if you like. But that's not something Christians have, you know. And then I started to realise when I felt this feeling, I thought, okay, well, now there's something wrong. What am I going to do about it? And I started to be in denial. Well, it's not depression. It's not anxiety. It's not this. And if I change this, this will be okay. So I built excuses and things to do that I thought could fix myself. Now, I think that God gave us this amazing thing called a brain. All right, and He gave it to us for it to be healthy and full of life. But when it's not healthy, it becomes dull and our lives become very aimless. And even as Christians, this happens. Even with Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour, we can still suffer like that. So I think that as a Christian, you should have an added advantage in this area because we know the Creator of the brain. And the Creator of the brain designed it to work a certain way. And that we should have the same inside knowledge that God does to how our mind works. That we shouldn't always feel in confusion. And what am I doing? Why can't I clear my thoughts? What's wrong with me? Okay, and I spent years like that before I had these revelations. Now this week, after praying about this word, God told me to fast over it. I was both surprised and disappointed. <laughs> and I didn't want to fast. I hate fasting, I'll be honest. It's a spiritual thing, apparently. <laughs> but you know what? He gave me three points. 
While I was fasting, I was like, he does speak through fasting. It's worth it. It's worth the hunger. And doing food shopping while you're fasting is torture. Yeah, I know. I really put myself through it for this, Steve. Listen up. (laughs) No. But seriously, my three points are this. It's the three R's. Repent, realign and remind. And I hate cliched sermons with the first letter of each. Oh, I think, oh, that's not me. But you know what? God's given it to me. And it's letting go of my control freak thinking that's going to sound corny. So we're going to begin with repentance. Now, repentance has become a dirty word within the church. It's become a judgy one. You don't mention that word. We don't judge people. We don't tell them to repent. We don't do that philosophy here. But people really misunderstood or misunderstand now what true repentance actually is. So let's talk about that. And I've put here that I'm going to tell you what it's not and what it often gets confused with. See, this is the other thing. Not only do people think it's judgmental, but they confuse it with the wrong things. So true repentance isn't possible until we totally understand what the actual word means. So repentance is not apologising. It's not saying I'm sorry. It's not confessing I did this, this and this. And it's not being sorry for getting caught. Like, oh yeah, well, I got caught. Like Alex said, I better be repentant now. Those, all of those things while we do them, that's not what repentance is. You know what that is? That's worldly sorrow. And the Word talks about this and it's not the same as godly repentance. So I want you to come with me to 2 Corinthians because Paul talks about this thing. And it's 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10 to 11. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing that you sorrowed in a godly manner, what diligence it produced in you, what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal and what vindication. In all things you proved yourself to be clear in this matter. And what it's saying is godly sorrow is what leads to this person. It leads us not to just confessing our sins, but repenting of them, changing our minds about our sins. And it's not about us regretting them or feeling bad about them even, or you know, that guilt that comes after. Godly sorrow causes you to turn away, change your mind about what you've been doing and going the other way. So for me, if I'm heading down the freeway and I see cars coming towards me, I realise, hey, I'm going the wrong way. I need to turn around. And I make the decision and I turn around and I don't go back that way again. It'd be pretty stupid if I kept going back down the freeway the wrong way. So that's what repentance is. It's not me going, I feel so bad about going down the freeway. How did I do this years later? I'm telling people the story and I'm living under this shame of this stupid thing I did. Rather, I turn around, I let it go and it's done. It is done. Now, Paul says this worldly grief. So our worldly type of repentance that they say is them repenting is really just them feeling sorry, feeling bad about what they've done. Because in that, there's no change of mind, there's no change of heart and there's no change of direction. So those things cannot really be repentance. They're not going the other way. They don't forsake their sin once and for all and go forward. Rather, they look back and they constantly repeat the same mistakes over and over again. And eventually it says that these mistakes lead to an eternal death, which is hell, which is awful to think about. But that's the road we go on when we're not truly repentant. But why does that factor into your mental health? Now, that's a great question, but how can it not? Because you see, our mental health, a lot of it, a lot of our issues in our mental health are tied to shame, regret, missed opportunities, traumas. A lot of these things have happened to us and a lot of them we have caused, but it's our ability now to take ownership of what we can and say, you know what, God, no more. So here I've got, we need to ask God to reveal the areas of our life that need that true repentance, those things that we've let slide, the things that we have not changed and turned from. 
And a true turning around means it's not a dirty word anymore. A repentance can be seen for what it was meant to be. You see, God intended repentance to be the exact opposite of judgment. He intended it to be a reuniting, a graceful moment for us to say, hey, I can unload my burden to you, God. Not only will He take your burden, but He'll help you turn around and change. There's true freedom in that. We can rely on Him to help us not to make the same mistakes over and over. We can break the things that run in generations before us and say, hey, no more, it stops here with me. Lastly, for those of us, now this is not a popular thought that I'm going to say. This is my opinion. So give me the grace to say it, think about it and see if you agree with me. For those of us that have said and done stupid things while we've been mentally ill, repentance gives us a space for peace, true peace. So while mental illness may be the reason, it isn't an excuse to treat people badly. It isn't an excuse to say and do things that hurt people for years to come. So for me, without that accountability, without true repentance, I was doomed to keep on repeating my same unhealthy patterns time and time again. Now, this is something the world doesn't see the need for, doesn't understand. I've heard it said in my workplace, well, they're sick. They're mentally ill, so they treat people badly. They're mentally ill, so they act erratically. They're violent or, you know, they can't come to work or there's all these reasons why these people do what they do. And that is legitimate. And I'm not saying that it's not. But what I am saying, when I was at my lowest, when I was really severely depressed, I wasn't a nice person to live with. And I've got to be honest about that. I had to take time to really reflect and repent, not only to God, but to Bobby for words and and things that were done in those moments. Because you see, I thought I had a good excuse that I'm sick, so of course I'm hysterical. I'm going to scream, I'm going to throw things, I'm going to carry on. I thought that was okay. Sometimes I thought, well, he caused this. Well, he made it worse, which is sometimes true. (laughs) No, but you see, even though it might have been valid, it didn't excuse my behaviour. Even though I was in pain and I was suffering, it still didn't excuse the words that came out of my mouth. So while I learnt that I was sick and I could own being sick, could still be responsible at the same time, that I was able to change, that who was in me was greater than anything else that could ever be going on in this brain, in this heart and in this body. And because of that, I had the strength to change. You see, before I did it alone and I had God up here and I pray, but I truly believed that I had to change rather than He would help change me. So can I just say, if you're suffering in the area of mental health at the moment and you think, you know, I can't do that, what you're saying, I just can't, that you've got so much unhappiness and sadness and it bubbles up on the inside and you think, it's just got to come out at some point. Can I say, encourage you to look at it differently and see kind of what I'm saying, to see repentance as part of your worship, as an act designed to bring you peace and not shame. Because it's taken me years to realise that it's okay to admit I'm weak because it's only people that attach shame to weakness, not God. Okay, God wants you weak. He wants to make you perfect in that weakness by His strength. So please don't forget that if you say, I am weak, God, I can't do this alone. That's where He's gonna meet you. Okay, so my first point was repentance. After we move from repentance, we move to realignment. And I love realignment and it's something that God's been speaking to me about because I don't think it matters where you're on this journey of your mental health or your relationship with God. We all have those areas that you think that's out of alignment right now. And especially when you're in the depths of a mental illness, everything's out of alignment. Your world is tipped upside down and you can't have those clear um, critical thoughts that you need to do. Decisions become hard to make and you think, God, what is going on? My life I know is not lining up where it should be, but I don't know how to get it back. 
So let's talk about that. I want to say that we realign by relationship and time in the Word. I don't think there's many other ways to realign with God than time in the Word. I think that's the most vital thing we can do. And the reason why, because the Word is powerful, it's living, we know that. But for me, I started searching Scriptures. When I was mentally ill, I thought, okay, I can Google anything I like. There's a lot of medical info, there's a lot of scientific info, which is helpful. But there's not a lot of spiritual info. There's not a lot of stuff there that says, what does God say about mental health? So if we search what God says about the mind instead, you'll find lots of jewels. You'll find lots of keys about how the mind is meant to work and how God helps it function as it truly should. So I want us to go to Romans 12, verse 1 to 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you can prove what is good and acceptable in the perfect will of God. Now, this renewing of the mind is vital. It is so vital, not just for the mentally ill, but for the mentally healthy, for the Christians. All of us have to put this into practice. Because you see, without transformation, the renewing of the mind means if we don't do that, it's impossible to stay the course. It's impossible to become a healthy disciple of Christ if we don't renew our minds. Now, we're living in this world that wants us to conform. Not only does it want us to, it compels us to conform to the way it speaks, the way it acts, its traditions, its addictions. There's a lot of pressure to become like everybody else. We only have to go on social media to feel that pressure, to look a certain way, act a certain way, have this many followers and your life will be sweet. Now, although we may know this is a lie, what are we going to replace it with? Because you see, you're living in it. You can't just say, I know that's negative, I'll put it to one side you still need to replace it with something that is good. And here's how we do it. I've got here, it's like a caterpillar. You know, a caterpillar becomes a butterfly. It transforms. And once it goes through the process, it doesn't go back. It doesn't say, you know what, today I'll be a caterpillar again. It's become what it's meant to be. It's reached its destiny. But you see, for us, the only thing is it's different. We can have the choice to go back. We can go back to our caterpillar days. We can be a butterfly one day, caterpillar the next. And suddenly we find ourselves switching. And this is what happens when we're out of alignment and we haven't renewed our minds on the daily. So So the only way to replace the error of the world's way of thinking is to replace it with God's truth. You always have to replace a bad habit with a good one. I truly believe that. Don't just eliminate your bad habits, replace it with something good. Then the only infallible source of God's truth is His revealed Word, which is the Bible. Now, you know, I think church is great. Sermons are great. Podcasts, connect groups, they're all good. But your mind will not be renewed through those. And can I say why? Because there's one big infallible thing included in all of those things. Do you know what it is? Us, people. We're a part of all that. We're not infallible. We screw it up. We do things and people go, oh, look at that. Look at this. Look at that. But if you go to the Word, you can find something that's perfect unadulterated, it's written by God and it's for you. And it will speak to your spirit and truly be able to renew your mind. Transformation though, is not switching from a to-do list of the world or the flesh to the to-do list of the law. And I think as Christians, we have to be careful of these transformations. I grew up in a very legalistic church. So although we weren't living like the world, we were living under a law under a set of rules that meant we were righteous if we kept under that set of rules. That was not what renewing of the mind is about. 
So Paul in um, Galatians, he replaces the list. He replaces those to-do lists. And do you know what he replaces it with? He doesn't replace it with a set of rules. He doesn't replace it with another 10 commandments even. He replaces the to-do list of the flesh, of the world with the fruit of the Spirit. So I wanna read you that Scripture because it's so powerful. Galatians 5, 16 to 25. I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfil the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. And they are contrary to one another. So that you don't do the things that you wish, but if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. So firstly, we see in this chunk that the world and the Spirit or the world and the church really should be contrary to one another. When people enter these doors, they should see the difference happening. They shouldn't say, this is exactly like the pub on a Saturday night, you know. I hope they don't because that's not what we're about. And although we don't want people to feel uncomfortable, we want their spirit to rise up and say something different is here. So let's move down to verse 19. The works of the flesh are evident. And these are them. This is a big list, let me tell you. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, adultery, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries and the like. Now, I think the reason this list is so big is because there are so many sins. <laughs> Aren't there? This one's probably not even that comprehensive. But what it's trying to say is this is just a short, a short snippet of what we are capable of if we're moving in the flesh, if we're not renewing our minds. I wanna move down to verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, it's joy, it's peace, it's patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Because if we live in the Spirit, we also walk in it. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So you see, if we're following this, if we've got the fruit of the Spirit, we're able not to envy. We're, not, we're able not to covet like Pastor Claude is saying, what other people in church alongside have that we don't have. We're able to not murder people. <laughs> we're able to put long suffering on each day because it's a constant renewing of the mind. So rather giving us a list, do this, do that. He says, take these on, take these great character things on, bring them on yourself. And as you repent, you'll become more like me and you'll display these in the world around you. So for me, I believed, and I'm a bit of a control freak, not as bad as I used to be. Um, I see Bobby nodding. Um, but you know what? As a control freak, as someone was brought up in this church that was very law-based, I believed that I could change my mental health through this set of rules. So when I was afflicted by it, when I was really suffering, I thought, I've just got to go back to what I was taught, which we all do, don't we? We go back to what we've been taught because we think that will work. And I thought, if I just follow what I was taught. And if I make these set of rules, everything's going to be fine. And I wanna read you some of them because they're completely false. Now, before I say this, this, this list, not all of these things are bad. A lot of them are good practices to have. But what I'm saying is I truly believe that if I did this, it would equal my healing and my recovery, if you like. So here it goes. My first one, if I had a shower, put my makeup on and I went to work, then I'd feel better. False, I had panic attacks and I felt overwhelmed. <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to be really real and it, um, yeah, sound a bit crazy, but I was. Um, number two, if I went to church every Sunday, just kept going to church, keep going to church, camera. False, I just felt sad and I felt like I had to put on this mask because I wanted everyone to think I was okay all the time. Number three, retreat from people when I wasn't feeling good. False, once again, I ended up cutting relationships, hurting people and being isolated and then feeling unloved. It was a result of that. 
Number four, stop talking about how you feel. You know what? If you just don't talk about it, don't acknowledge it, squash it down, it will go away. And I think we all do this to some extent. No one's nodding. You do that, don't you? Yeah, okay, there's a few people. Great, not just me. So when I thought about stopping to talking about what I felt, it just made me feel that no one cared. No one asked <laughs> and I didn't tell. That was the result. Last one, believe that God had chosen not to heal me. Okay, this is who, it is, who I am now. God has chosen not to heal me. So I thought if I went along with that, I'd be less disappointed instead of coming up here every week on the altar and asking for my healing. But false, God had healed me, but I had to walk, to learn to walk in my healing and follow a process. And that was hard for me to follow a process because I wanted my instant supernatural healing. I honestly could write pages of these rules that I followed and these things I told myself that could make everything better. But although some of them, like I said, are not bad and they're good practices to have, I truly felt no better until I got the idea of this miracle in the process. Now we talk about it a lot at church and it's something not to slide on by because it's very valid for these reasons. For me, my miracle in the process was years of prayer, coming up altar, home, wherever I would pray for my healing. It was medication, to be honest. I had to go on antidepressants. When you get to the point when you wanna end your life, you've gotta do something drastic. So for me, I used medication as well. And I also learned to replace unhealthy habits with healthy ones. So those were the three main things I needed to do to get that journey back on track. The last one was rediscovering my identity in Christ. Now, not, not in a church, not my identity, who I am at church, what my ministry was, not as a daughter, a wife, a mother, a teacher, none of those things. And this is something I'm still doing because I have to ask God to show me who I am apart from those things. So when I'm standing alone before God, who am I? Where is my identity found? It's very easy to wrap yourself up in the security of the roles that you play. I am teacher, I am mother, I am wife, I am preacher. Look at the things I am. But you know what? They are part of who I am, but they are not everything. Who are you without those things? Who am I without those things? And when you examine your heart and your relationship with God, what is it based on? What do you base it on? Do you base it on how well your life is going or all the good stuff and the things you're achieving? Or you're basing it on, I'm a child of the King. He's my Father. We can go to Him. I can meet with Him. I can change this through relationship. So this comes to my last point, which is remind. And it's, it's very relevant to what I've just been speaking about. On your bad days, what do you need to remind yourself of? And this is really important because the bad days come and the bad situations come, the things you thought you'd never face, you will. And I like to look at Scriptures, Scriptures that tell me what the value of me is to God. And it sounds very selfish to go, God, you know, how valuable am I to you? But when you don't feel of worth, when you don't feel loved, if you look to the Word, He will remind you of your worth. So I want us to go to Luke 12, 6, because I love this one. Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins and not one of them is forgotten before God, but the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Do not fear therefore, because you're of more value than many sparrows. The sparrow, I've spoken on this before, is an insignificant bird. When they fall, they die. People don't notice, but God does. And what He says here is you're so much more valuable. I count all those hairs on your head. And like us as parents, we love our kids. I love doing Alba's hair, but I certainly don't wanna count all those hairs on her head. It's not in me, but it's in God. So He sees us and He values us even on those bad days and those bad times. Another thought for you, troubled sleep equals a troubled mind. And I'm so conscious of this now. If I cannot sleep, I know there's a reason behind it. So I pinpoint it. I examine my thoughts. What am I feeling? Why? And what am I gonna do about it? 
They're the three things I ask myself. And if it's out of my control, I remind myself, God, you hold me in the palm of your hand. Nothing is bigger than you. I have to say that a lot of times to myself. I can make to-do lists and I can write notes to remind myself of of things to do when it's not 3am. You know, the things you go, I should have done that, should have done that. Sometimes I write my notes, I put it in my phone so I can do it tomorrow and to put my mind at ease. But more often than not, it's claiming the Word over my life, opening that Bible app and reading. This is my favourite scripture and this one applies to, it's, it's, I think it's like the favourite mental health <laughs> scripture and when we pray over people when they come up, but there's a reason for that. Isaiah 26.3, you'll keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Now, I loved this scripture and I always wanted this perfect peace, but I had to really study it because what it means is, it doesn't mean you're just gonna get this perfect peace when you pray. It says, first you have to trust then you're able to keep your mind on Christ. I often wondered, why can't I keep my mind on You, Lord? Why can't I focus on who You are when I'm depressed? Because I didn't trust Him and I wasn't able to keep my mind on Him, so I couldn't attain the peace I was looking for. The results of perfect peace is something that no one, nothing else can give you but God. He's the only one that is possible through. And that perfect peace, it transcends the world, our circumstances, and it provides us with, you know what? good mental health. That's what it can do for us. So I wanna encourage you to look at your relationship with God and do you trust Him? Because that's where your foundation starts, your trust and your faith in God. Now for me, I always knew God was real. I haven't struggled with knowing if He exists, but I haven't always trusted Him. And I had a a few years back, we'd miscarried for the second time in a row. And I went through a period of serious anger and serious doubt in God, not in knowing He was real, but in trusting Him because I stopped trusting in Him because I was afraid. I was afraid that I wouldn't get another child. Be really honest, that's what I was afraid of. I was afraid that all of the anger and the sadness wouldn't go away and I wouldn't get back to that place of perfect peace. Because after suffering with depression, anxiety and and getting over it, I didn't wanna get back to that place of confusion and anger and and bitterness. So I I was worried. So I made a decision to be as real with God as I am with Bobby when I'm angry or upset. And obviously with Bobby, it's always done in love and respect and quiet conversations. (laughs) Um, But you know what, with God, I decided, you know, I'm just gonna put it all out there. I'm gonna say exactly how I feel. So I decided to go walking every night and had this worship music on and I would rage. (laughs) People probably saw, you know, no one came up to me, which is probably they were scared. But, you know, I took that moment to say, you know what, God, this is what I expected of you. I didn't get what I expected. Why? You know, like we were talking about before, we don't always get those whys. And I wanted my why. I wanted to know what had gone on and I wanted to get some sort of peace on the subject. And to be honest, at first, it didn't make any difference. I was still just, just raging, to be honest, and upset. But as long the process, once I kept doing it and doing it, it became very freeing for me. I got to the place after doing all of that, I was able to lay down my wants and my desires and fully surrender to Him, to His will and to what had happened, and to deal with what had happened to me. I grieved the loss of those two babies and I did it well, I think, now looking back. I didn't think so at the time, but now I realised I did what I needed to do. And I also allowed Him to come in and heal it. For you to have good mental health, for you to be a healthy follower of Christ, you have to allow Him to heal you. It's not good enough to say, God, I'm here, I'm surrendered, if you're really not on the inside and if you don't have your trust in Him first. So I came back to this perfect peace by keeping my eyes on Him and trusting His hand. I didn't get any answers, I'll be honest. I still don't know. And I won't this side of eternity, I believe that. But I trust Him 
regardless. So they were, they're the bad days. But what about your good days? What do you remind yourself of in your good days? You know, it's easy on a good day. When you've got bad mental health, you think, oh, it's a good day, a bad day's coming. Brace yourself, the storm's coming. <laughs> and I do, and I used to do that. I think, no, let me appreciate the good days. Let me put my head up and see what I can't see on my bad days and be thankful for it. You see, Luke 10.10 10 says a thief, he comes and he doesn't come except to steal, to kill and destroy. And I have come that they may have life and more abundantly. When you're mentally ill, when you're depressed, anxious, whatever, you don't see an abundant life as possible. You just see life. And sometimes you don't even want that. <laughs> Am I right? You're like, take it back, God, give me another. But we only get this one life and it's ours. So for me, I have chosen to focus on the life I have and make the most of it. And you know what? I'm very blessed to have Bobby and I make jokes and that about him, but I do love him. Um, <laughs> I'll just put that on record. But you know what? A lot of people come up and they ask me what Bobby is like at home. They're very fascinated. They say, is he like, as positive and, you know, upbeat as he is when I see him? Does he need help with stuff? They always want to know, you know, how much I have to help him. And they're surprised to hear that he's in a wheelchair at home and they feel sad for him. We get all these re- weird reactions, to be honest. And when I f- first meet people and I tell them my husband's a double amputee, they're horrified. Oh, I'm so sorry. They feel sad for him, which is a normal reaction, right? But you see, Bob's doesn't feel like that. And neither do I, not anymore because he has an abundant life. And that means for him, he's told me before, his disability has opened doors for him that would not have been possible. He lived in Europe. He played wheelchair basketball professionally only because of these legs. He gets jobs given to him that he's not qualified for. Sure, he has to be that token disabled guy, (laughs) but he plays that part so well. He really does. (laughs) Yeah, he, he does. He says, I use what I've got. If you need me in a wheelchair, guys, I'll come. I'm like, you can walk. Like, <laughs> but you know what? He's chosen to make it something that's lighthearted and to live full of joy. And he actually loves his life. So when people ask me, I say, yeah, he is like that at home. This is not, he's not any different. And I can honestly say that. He does need help, but that has nothing to do with his legs. <laughs> that's just because he's, oh no, I won't say that. I'll be sexist. He's a loving husband. <laughs> But you know what, in all seriousness, I've learned a lot about the value of life from him. As someone who, when he first came out of the accident, felt guilty about being a survivor. Now he feels blessed to be here, that God gave him a second chance at life, that eternity is now possible because of what happened to him. You know, yesterday we had a robust, a robust discussion, Bobby and I, and he said this to me, he said, don't make someone else responsible for your happiness, Kama. I wasn't happy when I heard that. <laughs> But you know what? I have to th- I thought about it. I really thought about it. And I thought, you know, there's so much truth in that statement because even God isn't responsible for our happiness. He's not responsible for our mental health. I have to take responsibility for my own mental health. I have to not rely on people around me to constantly lift me up or make me feel happy and loved and secure. For me, my mental health has become my own sole responsibility. I must face what's bothering me and not ignore the symptoms when I feel myself sliding. I'd be very aware of my mental health and make it a priority. So who have you made responsible for your happiness, for your mental health, for your peace, for the power, for your education, for all those things you say, I can't because of this or this person's relying on me or that? What is the real truth of the matter and how can you change it? And you know what? This is where we have to remind ourselves once again of our identity in Christ. 
And this is something I'm thinking and praying about a lot and I've been talking about it. And I looked up this dictionary definition of identity. And I think identity is very important and I love definitions, but here it is. The definition of it is who you are, the way you think about yourself, the way you're viewed by the world and the characteristics that define you. Now, I think that's a great definition, except one bit, the way you're viewed by the world. Let's take that out and let's replace it with by the way you're viewed by God. Because God is the ultimate judge. He's the one that sees us. He's the one that validates us, not the world. So I think if we replace our identity with caring about what man thinks, what other people are doing, what everyone's expecting of me, rather saying, what is God expecting? How does He see me? What does He want for my life? His opinion is who's really should matter. And you know what? No one, no matter how much they love you, can fulfil your destiny, your purpose, like God can. So I want to finish on this, Psalm 8, 3 to 5. When I consider your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've ordained, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? For you've made him a little lower than the angels and you've crowned him with glory and honour. This is who God is. The God that created the stars, He hung the moon. He had this perfect Lamb of God, His Son, that He offered for you. And yet it says He's mindful of us. He cares for you. He cares if you're mentally unwell. He cares if you're struggling, if you're suffering, if you can't see the light ahead of you, He cares. He loves you that much that He sent His most prized possession just for you. So I want you to have that realisation today. I want you to remind yourself of the bigness, if you like, of God and who He is. And even though He's so big, He cares just for you. This is the end of the podcast. For more information about C3 Rockingham, please visit www.c3r.org.au or call us on 9524 5055.